Hey, my thanks to all those uh, leading the skit today. It was very nice, and it leads us into our message on biblical marriage, and we'll just have to double-check those screens when we put the next song up. We'll make it work. So thank you to all those who did the skit, and also um, children are dismissed to junior church. I knew there was something else I had to say. <laughs> so children may make their way to junior church. We're going to be going to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 through 25, here in a second. And again, that skit list leads us perfectly into uh, biblical marriage, though today's sermon is mainly going to focus on the beginning of marriage, the institution of marriage. Where did this idea of marriage uh, come from? How did the idea of marriage even begin? A man one day went to the Super Bowl, and he was sitting in a seat with an empty seat beside him. How can there be an empty seat next to you in the Super Bowl, right? A gentleman who sat on the other side of him said, is that your seat? I see no one sitting there. The man said, yes, my wife and I had tickets, but she died. And none of my friends whom I invited could make it to the Super Bowl. So the seat is just empty. The gentleman was puzzled. None of your friends could make it to the Super Bowl, he asked. The man said, no, they couldn't. The gentleman was still clueless as to how this man couldn't find one friend who would love to be at the Super Bowl. Boy, the biggest sports event in all history, and they are missing it. The man didn't skip a beat. Yeah, they're all at the funeral. For his wife. That is not a biblical marriage, is it? But it is humorous. You know, we're in this sermon series discussing difficult times. And by the way, if you like the skits, we got two more coming, right? Two more in the plans. And if anybody would like to uh, join the group that does the skits, uh, let me know and I can let Lynn know or just talk to Lynn Raboski yourself. Uh, she has them practice. And I'm just so grateful for those that, that help out. Having Matt and Chrissy on today was, uh, I don't know if they've done a skit with us. Have you helped with a skit before? So thank you. Um, you're going to just keep on helping now. And uh, just like Billy, Billy's always helping with the skits too. So thank you very much. They're just so wonderful and help introduce and emphasize our themes. Uh, so today's is message is maybe or maybe not difficult times, but it's a question. What is biblical marriage? Now, we, we could take it in two different ways. What is a biblical marriage? Ephesians 5 and 6, Colossians 3, 1, uh, 1 Peter 3. All these passages deal with household codes. How are we to act in a marriage? Interestingly enough, uh, Rome in the first century was very um, uh, supportive and they cared a lot about what we might call the traditional family, mom and dad and kids. And they saw the family as a secret to their success. Now, in the Roman times, the family definitely meant, though, male headship. And then in Ephesians 5.21, Paul says, submit to one another. In fear and reverence of Christ. Submit to one another in fear and reverence of Christ. And then it goes on and it says, wives, be subject to your husbands and, and children, be subject to your father, all that stuff. But it starts with submit to one another in fear and reverence of Christ. And actually, if you read behind the text and go look at the Greek, be subject or submit is not repeated after that. It's submit to one another in fear and reverence of Christ. And it's believed that the next several submits 
are implied. So the translations actually add them, add them in thinking they're implied based off verse 21. But we're called to submit to one another. Husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Who gave himself up for her. Christ gave himself up for the church. Megan and I have not always been the token uh, uh, marriage. We had hard times in the beginning, never, never separating or anything like that. Though a lot of marriage has, marriages have come through a lot, and they're great examples that marriages, uh, with God's help, can survive. They say the first two years of marriages are the most difficult, and Megan and I used to joke in our first few years that every quarter we had big arguments and, and big fights. At one point, she stepped on my feet out of frustration, and one of us threw cereal all over the kitchen. I don't know what happened there, but we found the cereal a few years later before we moved from that house in Cincinnati. And I can tell you another time, you know, you get frustrated and you need to take a time out. In fact, I once heard somebody on Focus on the Family, and what they would do is they would put little snicker bars all over the house. And so if they're in an argument and they need a time out, they're supposed to grab a Snickers bar because you can't continue arguing and fighting as you're chewing and eating the Snickers bars. And, um, and I think that's a good idea. I should do that. But our, our arguments have definitely calmed down, so I don't know if it's necessary anymore. But how do we survive in marriage? By staying connected to the vine, by staying connected to Jesus, by staying close to Jesus, by living based off of Jesus's kingdom standard. And if he chooses to use Snicker bars, all the greater, right? What is the biblical view of marriage? We have to go back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 through 25 for that. We live in a time in which marriage is threatened. We live in a time in which marriage is under attack. We live in a time in which marriage is no longer regarded as sacred. Several years ago, I heard about one journalist who, who wrote about how Christians will eventually condone same-sex marriage because look how they have gradually approved of divorce. Dr. Al Mohler talked about that on his briefing podcast, which is about news and events from a Christian worldview. Where do we find the establishment of a marriage, though? We talked about divorce a few weeks ago, and I talked about how I, I exhort all of us and myself too, to, to respond to divorce with as much grace and love and support as we can. But where do we find the establishment of, of marriage? We don't have to go far. Genesis chapter 2. So my theme today is God established and Jesus affirmed marriage between one man and one woman for one lifetime. God established and Jesus affirmed marriage between one man and one woman for one lifetime. This sermon is uh, practical in knowledge as much as practice. Because we're in that day and age where people question, does marriage even matter? You know, studies will repeatedly show that um, millennials, and I would say probably Gen Z now, because millennials are getting pretty old. They're around 40 or even 41, 42, and, you know, so they're middle age. And, but millennials and Gen Z, studies will repeatedly show cohabitation is just natural. They don't even think anything about living together outside the bonds of marriage, the respect for marriage going down. And that's why this sermon is important, not just in, in, in practice for those who are married or intend to get married, but also in knowledge. Where do we find this idea of marriage and the vows and the ceremony and all of that? 
And my first point is God established marriage. Genesis 2, 24 and 25. Uh, please turn there or listen. Uh, Genesis 2, 24 and 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They leave, a man is to leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. It's leave and cleave. Leave father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Now, if we continued, we see that marriage is work, and that's why that skit was called a personal trainer. And that's why most all of us, I'm sure, can give examples of the arguments and the difficulties and the beginning of our marriage as you learn to live together and, and, and who does the laundry. And who does, I had a professor of counseling, narrative counseling, a seminary. He said their first few years, uh, first few weeks, not years, first few weeks, months of marriage, nobody took the trash out. And his family growing up, the wife took the trash out. And her family growing up, the husband took the trash out. So they hadn't worked that out, so the trash just came overflowing. And they had to work things out. And as you're learning to relate, and most time you're young, I was 22 when we got married. Megan was 18. So you can um, make your jokes about that later. And you got to work things out. It's two people coming together under God in a covenant. And that's what I'm going to get into in a minute. In the text I just mentioned, Adam was alone, and God saw that that was not right. God created Eve from him and brought Eve to Adam. We can build many things on marriage based off of this one text. Adam was alone. God created Eve. God brought Eve to Adam. The first marriage is a covenant. Well, actually, marriage in general is a covenant, not a contract. Author and writer Brad Hambrick, Brad Hambrick is a biblical counselor. Author and writer Brad Hambrick has written on marriage as a covenant. And he compared and contrasted a covenant with a contract. And I, and I really, really loved his writing of how marriage is a covenant. In fact, when I, when I read it, I saved it, I downloaded it, I shared it with other people, I referred to it in my research on this sermon. A contract is a common legal document regulated by the state. A contract is based upon mistrust between two people. A contract is written to create liability. A contract is demanding joy through mutual benefit. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant under God. A covenant is a sacred moral agreement overseen by God. Whereas a contract is a common legal document regulated by the state, marriage is a sacred moral agreement overseen by God. A covenant is based upon trust between two people, not mistrust, trust between two people. A covenant is accepted to embrace unlimited responsibility. A contract is written to create liability, but a, con- a covenant, a covenant is to embrace unlimited responsibility. A contract was demanding joy through mutual benefit, but a covenant, a covenant is seeking joy through mutual sacrifice, mutual sacrifice. Marriage is a covenant. Regarding marriage as a covenant, Brad Hambrick writes the seating. I mean, he actually goes into how a covenant ceremony was in the Old Testament and then considering marriage as a covenant and how it's symbolic of a covenant. Um, The seating arrangement with families on each side gives a portrait of God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. The Hebrew word for covenant is bereath. That's the Hebrew word. And it means to cut. 
And, and it's most clearly seen in the passage in Genesis 15 when God had Abram cut several animals in half and make a lane between their carcasses. And God passed down this lane to say, so shall it be to me if I don't keep my word. While gruesome, this image reminds us of a central theme of covenant relationships. Death brings life. God kept his covenant with us. We broke covenant with God, but God accepted the consequences of of, of the covenant being broken. And the consequence was Jesus' death on the cross in order to restore relationship. And his husband and wife passed through their families. Because in most marriage ceremonies, the families are seated each on one side of the sanctuary. And husband and wife, just like God passed through the sacrifice in Genesis chapter 15, husband and wife passed through the families. They're both on different sides because you're joining together the families in the covenant sacrifice. And as husband and wife pass through their families, they are also visualizing a death, leaving, leaving their family of origin that brings life, cleaving to their spouse. Those in attendance instinctually understand the profound paradox as they experience the simultaneous emotions of sadness and joy. Marriage is a covenant under God. Hambrick continues. The bride, dressed in white, comes to meet her groom for the entire world to see. She's coming to have her name and identity changed. She is drawn by love. She is lovely in the eyes of her groom, and everyone in attendance sees her through the eyes of her beloved. Her eyes are fixed on his, the groom, and no one else's opinion matters. Love triumphs over any fear and any insecurity that might over otherwise be present. Covenant is giving love the power and beauty it was always intended to have. Covenant is giving love the power and beauty it was always intended to have. The white dress is a picture of the righteousness given to us by the ultimate groom, Christ. We do not come to Christ in our own white garments, but in his, Jesus' righteousness gifted to us. This is one of the most essential truths to remember in a marriage. When we begin to wear our own righteousness in marriage, shame will bring lying. Insecurity will bring hiding. Comparison will bring competing. And pride will bring judging. We come to Christ. We come to marriage with his righteousness. An important part of marriage is a covenant is the father giving away the bride, right? Who gives this woman to be married to this man? Asked the pastor. Her mother and I do a response to the father of the bride. This is more than just a way to change the arrangements of how people are standing at the altar. It is a picture of God's design for marriage and a demonstration of the four major commitments of the marriage covenant. Now, here are the four. And this is a covenant. Here are the four. Receive, leave, cleave, become one flesh. This is all covenantal. This all goes back to Genesis chapter two in the passage I just read. This is all biblical. We must realize that we receive our spouse as a gift. God brought Eve to Adam as a gift. He was to receive Eve. We receive our spouse as a gift. We cannot earn our spouse by our good looks, our earning capacity, our charming personality, or other desirable attributes. You cannot earn a person. A spouse is a gift. We should never feel entitled to our spouse or take them for granted. That is not good in marriage. 
Commitment two, leave. The bride and groom are severing the bond of primary allegiance, primary allegiance and dependence with their parents to form that bond with each other. Here again, we see the primary image behind the Hebrew word for covenant, which is to cut. Anytime that bond of primary allegiance, it's not just a, it's not necessarily allegiance. You still respect your parents. You go to them for support. They support you. You should accept their support and wisdom and knowledge. But our primary allegiance is to one another. And if that doesn't happen, it does not work well in marriage. I was working at McDonald's as a shift manager. I was working with a friend, another assistant manager, um, and he would talk to me about his previous marriage. And every time they talked amongst each other about whatever decision, it didn't work because they would make decisions and she would call her mom and whatever the mom said is what went. The primary allegiance, you respect your parents, but the primary allegiance is to your spouse, husband and wife. So you receive your spouse as a gift. You leave your family of origin to become united to your spouse. And commitment three is cleave. You cleave to your spouse and commitment four is become one flesh. The vows, the kiss, the pronouncement are all similar to a covenant ceremony. And Brad Hambrake, the biblical counselor, shares more about that in an article which is linked in my sermon manuscript, which you can pick up in the back, or you can also get on our website and on my blog. And it's great, great, great writing how he compares marriage to a covenant ceremony. But what makes a Christian marriage? Simply put, a man and woman are bound together in a covenant ceremony under God. A man and woman are bound together in a covenant ceremony under God. A little girl came to her grandmother and noticed that her grandmother's ring was big and gaudy and ugly looking. She said, Grandma, those rings back there when y'all got married were so big and heavy and gaudy looking. Her grandmother replied, yeah, because when I got my rings back in that day, they were made to last. I read a marriage is like a violin. After the music stops, the strings are still attached. A husband and wife are bound together as long as they live. Now, remember, I talked about divorce a few weeks ago, and sometimes that is um, the best solution. I called it triage in a very bad situation. The ideal solution, the way it should be, is a man and woman bound together for life. One source shares the Hebrew word for wife is gender-specific. And you can find this in a number of sources. One is footnoted. Ben Witherington, a professor at Asbury Theological Seminary, just wrote it about a few weeks ago. The word for wife is gender specific. In other words, a man cannot be a wife, not, by, not based off the going back to the Hebrew term. And, 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 a, and a husband, a woman cannot be a husband. They're gender specific words. And, and, and they're also, the Hebrew words for man and wife are also singular. And they do not allow for multiple wives. Even though some people in scripture did have multiple wives, it is clear from the creation account that God's design for marriage is one man with one woman. And Jesus emphasized this in Matthew 19, four through six, which we're gonna look at here in a moment. The other thing is in John chapter two, Jesus's first miracle was what? Turning water into wine. And what was it at? It was at a marriage ceremony. You don't necessarily have to have a marriage ceremony like that was. They probably lasted like five days and, and it was quite a party, like Fiddler on the Roof, you know. And it was uh, one of my favorite movies, like Fiddler, but it's so sad in the second half. Anyways, like Fiddler on the Roof, big, big party, big wedding ceremony. But it is clear that Jesus is endorsing the wedding ceremony at that time. Further, 
It is not biblical to consider a couple who have had sexual intercourse, but who have not observed any of the other aspects of a marriage covenant to be married. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, it indicates that sex outside of marriage before marriage is immorality. If sexual intercourse causes a couple to automatically become married, it could not be considered immoral, as a couple would be considered married the moment they engaged in sexual intercourse. So a man and woman bound together in a marriage ceremony under God, a covenantal ceremony under God. Jesus affirmed marriage. In Matthew 19, 1 through 6, which I talked about a few weeks ago, let me look at that, Matthew 19, 1 through 6. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and he entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and large crowds followed him and Jesus healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus answered, have you not read? That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast. That's that cleave idea. Hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And say there are no longer two, but one flesh. And Jesus adds a little part here, which he's allowed to do. uh, What therefore God has joined together, let not no man separate. Notice what Jesus is doing. He's asked about divorce and what does he do? He goes back to Genesis chapter 2 and the establishment of marriage. Many will say that Jesus never addresses homosexuality, but he clearly does. He addresses it right here. Marriage is between one man and one woman for one lifetime. I want to make some applications because this is about what is biblical marriage. It's not just a slip of paper. It's not just casual words we say to one another. Marriage is a covenant under God, which means it is sacred and moral. And we must view marriage as sacred and moral, regardless of how long you've been married or if you're getting married soon or whatever. Regard marriage as sacred and moral, a covenant ceremony under God. Marriage ought to be officiated in front of God's people, and they are the witnesses of the covenant. Russell Moore uh, was the chief ethicist for the Southern Baptist. Now he's editor-in-chief of, of Christianity Today. And I love his writings on ethics and things like that. And he, he used to have this thing where you could ask questions on ethics. In fact, a year ago or so, I asked him a question and he responded. And, and it was a very good answer. And he was asked a number of years ago, I think it was like 2014 or 15, will you allow couples to write their own marriage vows? Now, he was a dean at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And if you're are a dean or you work for a college and university, a seminary, you're doing a lot of weddings. So I'm sure he's done a lot of weddings, officiated a lot of weddings. And he said, no, he will not allow couples to write their own marriage vows because marriage is not about the, the, the vows and the ceremony. We make it about the couple, but it's really about the witnesses watching them make those vows And it's really about being under God, saying those vows. And further, especially a younger couple, oftentimes do not have enough uh, forethought or thinking of the future to know what to write in the vows. And in that way, the traditional vows are good. Things like in sickness and in health. He went on to say a young couple, especially a young couple, cannot think of cancer later on in their marriage and being a caregiver. They can't think of Alzheimer's or dementia or all the other things that you can face. And in that way, the vows, the traditional wedding vows are good. 
and honorable. Marriage is a covenant, and I believe it ought to be officiated in front of God's people, and the people are the witnesses of the covenant. I believe that since marriage is a covenant, the marriage ceremony belongs in the church, in front of the church. And here's a maybe controversial statement, but it shouldn't be because it was historically very Quaker. I ultimately even would say, I've never seen this happen, I've never done one, but I even believe, would go as far to say, that the marriage ceremony should take place in a worship service with the church. Now, I'm saying that as kind of a light statement. If you want me to do your wedding in Hawaii someday and you're going to pay for it, I'd be glad to go to Hawaii and officiate your marriage. I'm just saying, biblically based, marriage is a covenant ceremony under God and it belongs with God's people. It belongs with the church because you're the witnesses of it. There were witnesses of a contract, of a covenant. I just said that wrong. I said marriage is a covenant, not a contract. There are witnesses of a contract, but marriage is even more than that. It's a covenant. And if you study the covenants of the ancient Middle East in the biblical group of Israel, but also in extra biblical cultures, they had witnesses of the covenant. You can read Deuteronomy and see them saying, I call God as my witnesses. They had witnesses in a marriage ceremony, the people of God, the church, they are the witnesses. We do baby dedications in the church, right? We do baptisms with the church, don't we? We do membership recognitions in the church, right, Victoria? We do, we maybe should do marriage ceremonies with the church. I believe we should. Marriage was set up by God in Genesis 2, 24 through 25, and it cannot be changed. We did not invent it, and we cannot change it. How can we change something that we did not invent? Can't do that. Marriage was set up by God with one man and one woman. It cannot be two of the same sex or multiple partners. It does not even work by the grammar. Jesus reaffirmed the establishment of marriage in Matthew 19, 5 and Mark 10, 7 through 8. And this shows the importance of marriage. Marriage was established as one man and one woman for life as a covenant. This means that, that the joy in marriage comes through mutual sacrifice, not mutual benefit. Mutual sacrifice. As a covenant, marriage is based on trust between two people and God, not mistrust between the two people. We cannot live in marriage the way God intends, except by being connected to the vine, living with Jesus in John chapter 15. You ever cut a tree branch off? Maybe you're trimming the tree. I'm sure all of you have. And you trim the tree and maybe you cut a lot of branches off and to, to trim the tree. And you have this big pile of branches. And oftentimes at first, that pile of tree branches is big. And it kind of almost is, is it, it's not collapsed, you know. It's, it's green and it's got life. And then within a few days, it starts to kind of uh, crumble and go gray and collapse Jesus says in John 15, he's the vine, we are the branch. We got to be connected to him like that branch with that tree trunk. And, and as long as we're connected, then we got the life. We got the green, we got the life. But it doesn't take long for that tree branch to lose its life once you cut it off. And we lose our life, spiritual life, and even our fullness of physical life as soon as we're connected, disconnected from Jesus. The only way to have a biblical marriage is by staying connected to Jesus. We got to stay connected to Jesus. Simply put, a man and woman are bound together in a covenant ceremony under God. Four-year-old Susie had just been told the story of Snow White for the first time in her life. Four years old, just heard Snow White. She could hardly wait to get home from nursery school to tell her mommy. 
With wide-eyed excitement, she retold the fairy tale. Just imagine Susie coming home and telling you, you're her mom, you're her dad, you're her grandparent, the story of Snow White. And she is so excited. And she told the fairy tale after relating how Prince Charming had arrived on his beautiful white horse and kissed Snow White back to life, Susie asked loudly, And do you know what happened then? Yes, said her mom. They lived happily ever after. No, responded Susie with a frown. They got married. That is the joke, right? But too often, marriage is not how God intended it to be. However, I do believe through a life of self-sacrifice towards one another and a covenant between husband and wife, God calls marriage to be a happy partnership. A happy partnership. I can honestly say it is for me. However, the only way to live this self-sacrificially in marriage is by staying close to Jesus and living his kingdom way. Meg and I argued a lot when we were dating. We were both very strong-willed people, dated uh, one month shy of three years before we got married, and two strong-willed type of A people, very outspoken, and um, we argued a lot, and we just carried that into marriage. And of course, being young in the faith and in life, we had a lot um, to deal with with that. And God has worked in our life, and we've been grew out of some of those big arguments we had, whether it be throwing cereal and stomping on feet, or whether it be that one time when we were renting a house from our youth pastor. He'd gone to another church and rented us his farmhouse. I loved living there. It was a great house. And while we were arguing and uh, discussing in a very civil manner, no, very loud manner, and all of a sudden one of us said, I'm leaving, not leaving for good, just going out for a while, getting a timeout, and the other one uh, grabbed, uh, I don't know, reached out, and all of a sudden, one of our elbow went through the door window, and let me tell you, when that happens and you're renting from your youth pastor, it changes the argument right away. It actually is humorous looking back. I fixed the window, and I talked to him about it, and he said, well, you took care of it. It's good. We grew out of that phase. We stuck with it. And I have to say, I believe we've been, I'm really thankful for my partner and Megan as we went to Cincinnati together and we're in ministry together. And she was always by my side with youth and children's ministry and then to Alliance and now here and also as parents. But of course, we always have maturing to do. We're not always the perfect example. We still argue, but it does take perseverance, just like it takes perseverance in the Christian life. And the only way to do it, the only way to do it is by staying connected to the vine. It's something I say in every wedding I do. I don't know if I said it with Pam and Roland back there um, because I shortened some of my words, but the only way to do it is stay connected to Jesus. Jesus says in John fifteen four to abide in him. And that means to remain in him. In John 15, five, Jesus says, apart from him, we can do nothing. We must stay connected to Jesus. And we stay in tune with Jesus by staying in the scriptures, by staying in prayer, by staying in spiritual activities, by staying close to the church. That's why we need small groups. We need prayer partners. We need accountability partners. Something I would love to get here, Alliance Friends did this and maybe still does, is I would love to get it that when when a couple gets married, we connect them with marriage mentors. 
And they meet with them over dinner or over lunch. And, you know, an older couple that have been married for 45, 50 years, maybe even 30, 40 years, who can kind of guide them and mentor and coach them. And, and they can go to them when they're having those big arguments about whether to get a dog or not, or I don't know, some argument. And they can say, you know, be a mediator. And they can pass on wisdom and say, I want to do that yet. You're still paying off your student loans. Or, you know, marriage mentors. We need that. And that's the church coming alongside as people stay in tune with Jesus. And that's not just for marriage. That's not just for husband and wives. We all need the church. We're not meant to live alone. And we all need the church. I'm going to close in prayer as a praise team comes up, which will they'll lead us a song leading into uh, communion. And I'll make sure we get the projectors on. Hey, Ryan, if you want to go and put those um, put it on the screen so we can make sure it's on the projector. There we go. Now we'll get it on. Lord God, we just ask for your blessing and care. Lord God, we need your help. We need your help always, always, always in this life. We need your help in marriage. We need your help living as a single man or single woman or as a widow or as a widower. We always need your help. We always need to stay connected to you. We need your help, whether we're a child or a youth or a college student, wherever we're at in life, we always need you. To quote that hymn, I need thee every hour. We need you. Lord God, help us staying close to you and help us remember what is biblical marriage? You instituted in Genesis chapter two, a man and woman bound together under, covers, under a covenant ceremony under God. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As um, the praise team leads this song, if the communion service would gather and uh, they could even walk, for, you can even walk forward during the song. You can remain